Hi, hello, how are you? My name is Maxim Ibadov, and welcome back to season two of Let's Talk! Ah! Oh my god, I am honestly so excited. I am shook. I am shook Because it feels like only yesterday the lockdown started and I started recording the first episode of this podcast and pursuing my dreams. And now, seven months later, we're still in lockdown and I'm recording the first episode of season two. This is absolutely crazy. And I want to say big thank you to everybody who listened to season one, to all the guests, to all the listeners. And I promise you that this season is going to be full of very exciting talks. I have some very interesting guests. And before November 3rd, before the election, we will be talking to voters because in case some of y'all didn't know, the United States of America is going through a very heated and divisive election between President Donald Trump. And yes, I'll be doing a lot of impersonations, China and former Vice President Joe Biden. And we'll be talking to voters about what issues matter to them. And I just want to say that the episode you're about to listen was recorded last Wednesday right after the debates which honey we're gonna get into because that was something and because we recorded last Wednesday that was before we knew of Trump's diagnosis that he contracted COVID even though that motherfucker knew and he'd been going to rallies and infecting people like a bloody wannabe dictator that he is and I am very excited about this episode because we're talking to my Baruch classmate Zach Melara, who is an actor and who is also an undecided voter, which I found very interesting because, you know, in this election, the choices are very clear. So I wanted to ask him why is he still undecided and what are some of the issues that affect him in this election? So uh, thank you for coming back and I hope you enjoy the episode. So my guest today is an actor whom I met at Peru. Please give him a warm welcome to Zachary Milano. Hey, Zach. How's it going, man? How's everything? It's going. You know, I'm still shook from last night's debate, but we're going to get into it. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good, despite everything going on. And, you know, you just got to count your blessings in these times. And um, I'm, just, I'm just grateful to be here. And uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You're right on about counting your blessings because even though we don't have that many blessings, it kind of makes us appreciate them a little bit more. Absolutely. So before we talk about all of these things and you being an undecided voter, which is for those of you listening out there, yes, there are still people who are undecided in the selection and there's more of them than you would think. Zach, please tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from. As you know, I'm Zach Mulatto. I'm, I'm an actor. I'm 24, going to be 25 in December. My dad dad is uh, from Mexico. He came to this country when he was 14. He left and uh, he came a couple times uh, illegally, but then eventually became a citizen. Congratulations. Yeah. And um, my mom is uh, of European descent. I, we actually just did the ancestry thing. So I have Romanian, Italian, some Russian, Polish, basically like just a total conglomerate of all right. a bunch of different European countries. And uh, my mom is Jewish and I'm, I'm, I was raised Jewish. And uh, so I'm a very rare breed, a, a Jewish Mexican, but uh, very proud of it. And I'm also a registered Democrat. Okay. I'm a registered Democrat too. And when did you register to be a Democrat? So since I've been eligible to vote seven years ago, when I was 18, yeah. so six and a half, seven years ago. 
And did you vote Democratic in the last election? I did not vote Democratic in the last election. Uh, I voted against Hillary Clinton. Okay. I voted actually against both of them. I voted against Trump and Clinton. I voted for the Green Party. I have received a lot of shit for it from a lot of my friends, but I still stand by that decision because at the moment I was not happy with either of the candidates. And now four years later, we're in another election, another season, and this one is a mess. I want to ask you, since you're a registered Democrat, were you following the primary season? I was. I, I thought that the pool was a little oversaturated. Obviously, we had a, a ton of people running on the Democrat ticket. I think Biden said yesterday was 23, which felt like there was much, much, much more people. <laughs> it seemed like someone knew was throwing their hat into the ring every day. But uh, yeah, no, I, pay, I paid attention. Uh, I mean, some candidates that I like, Andrew Yang was one. I'm not the biggest fan of universal income. I do think that there are some, some problems that go along with that, that accompany that. But I do believe, at least going into primaries, I tend to look at people on the face of their personality. And uh, I thought he was a very articulate guy, very smart guy. He you know, had a very keen sense for business. You know, I liked Pete Buttigieg. I thought he was very presidential. I identify as a straight male, but I, I think that, you know, it'd be great to see a gay president or, or a gay presidential candidate, uh, especially today. Yeah, I mean, why not, man? I don't think that that should, you know, disqualify anybody. It's ridiculous. We're, you know, it's 2020. And I, um, believe it or not, I was in the Democratic primary in 2016. I voted for Bernie Sanders. Me too. I was actually one of 3 million New Yorkers who were disenfranchised when I showed up to vote. I was not listed, even though I had met every deadline to register to vote. When I showed up to vote, my name was not listed. My mom was was listed, but I wasn't. Yeah. And I was given an affidavit ballot and I was like, okay, whatever. It was kind of a pain to fill it out, but I filled it out. And then I got a letter in the mail a couple months later that my vote did not count. Same thing actually happened to me. I also voted in the affidavit. It would have been my first election and I was very passionate about Bernie yeah. Sanders. Not as much this time around. Yeah. And I also filled out an affidavit, but I didn't even get a letter saying anything about it. And I was pretty pissed off because when I found out that there was a lot of Bernie supporters who were disenfranchised that time around, that, that was one of the reasons I didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. I was exactly the same way. I was pissed, man, because I feel you. I have a lot of, uh, you know, liberal family members and uh, it was a bizarre thing for them to say, oh, well, you know, accept the results of the election, you know, like he, he lost, like you have to accept it, you have to support Hillary, you have to, you have to, you have to. And then like, I go and I see Hillary lose and then they're not accepting the results. Right. <laughs> I was just like, I mean, come on, at least don't be a hypocrite, at least have some kind of consistency. Right. But uh, yeah, I was I was very disappointed about that. Just like you said, I wasn't uh, super excited about Bernie this time around. Look, I was in college, I was kind of, uh, I was young, I was kind of naive, you know, in 2016. And so I feel like I have a much better understanding of economics now. And you can promise the world and you can say, you know, we were going to have free this and free that. But from a fiscal standpoint, it's very hard to deliver on a lot of these things. And it's hard to be a successful candidate when you make these kinds of promises and you're talking about the top one percent and you know the billionaires the millionaires, the yeah. right and and it's it's a tough sell it's a tough yeah. sell but he sold it to us when we were college age pretty you know maybe not as literate about politics and economics and now as we were back then exactly exactly i'm looking at my bernie sticker from 2016 right now back in 2016 i supported him because it was him and hillary clinton and i did not like hillary i didn't really like how she was a secretary of state and maybe it was internalized misogyny that I faced now looking back at it but I 
supported Bernie because he was talking about things that nobody else was talking about, universal healthcare, universal education. And, you know, I was in college and I didn't have an insurance. So those were the things that I cared about. This time around, there were many more democratic choices. So there was like, before going to a restaurant and you only have fish and um, meat, this time you had like vegan options and... (laughs) kosher options sure. and like so there was like much more to choose and I was happy that there was some ideas that Bernie started that were better formulated either by Elizabeth Warren or by Kamala Harris by all those other people but how did you feel about Joe Biden yeah I mean Joe Biden it was very interesting because I going into the primaries I did feel that he was probably the favorite and then after the debates I thought he didn't have a chance I mean right. I, I I think all the candidates knew he was the heavy-handed favorite just because right. of his track record because he's tied to Obama and people are looking at it as like Trump versus Obama or we, can we go back to 2008 yeah and so he kind of had this huge target on his back. And then you saw one after the other, whether it's, you know, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, eviscerate his record. Right, right. And I don't agree with everything that was done under the Obama administration with Joe Biden. I don't agree with a lot of his track record. He was the vice president and I do respect the office. Right. I don't have to agree with people. I don't have to like them, but elected officials, I still hold a, a semblance of some sort of respect for the fact that they hold that position. And so despite that respect that I have for him, I, and I don't mean this in a disparaging way, it's pretty clear that, look, as we get older, yeah. we lose a step. He's no spring chicken, and he's not the same Joe Biden that he was. And right. I think people capitalized on that at, at the debates. I didn't think he had a chance after the first debate, after the first few. I just thought, this is not a good look for him. This is not going well for him. And I mean, it, it turns out that obviously he secured the nomination. Yeah. I mean, I remember when he was the front runner before he announced he's running for president. And I think that maybe if there were less candidates for running, maybe we would have had somebody else. But because there were so many people running and then they all started cannibalizing each other. We remember how Elizabeth Warren destroyed Michael Bloomberg, half a billion dollar campaign with like a couple of sentences. So I just think that Joe Biden, and maybe that's a testament to his experience and his spirit and his story that, you know, despite all of that, he was able to remain being the last. Of course, there was a concerted effort by the Democratic Party to support him as opposed to Bernie when, you know, everybody like Pete and Amy Klobuchar dropped out and endorsed him just to not let Bernie Sanders get the nomination. So it's quite interesting to watch. But for me, Biden was literally the last choice out of everybody. Maybe maybe Tulsi Gabbard. No, actually kind of liked her in the beginning. And by the end, I was like, she needs to go. Yeah, she I mean, I did like Tulsi. I, I, I think she fell out of favor with a lot of people. I mean, she did come after Kamala in the debates. And there's that one clip that everyone loves to play about how she attacked her record as a prosecutor, as AG, right. whatever, whatever position she held. And then there, I've, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, I don't know what truth they hold, if it's a conspiracy theory about her ties to Syria. She went to Syria and met up with Assad, and then she came back saying that Syria doesn't have chemical weapons. Right, okay. I'll take your word on it, yeah. Yeah, she went on RT, you know, also Russia Today, like it also like a very questionable choice of where to go and talk about this, and she's on record. That's why they were calling her the Russian asset during right. the primary. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, I mean, look, I just want to be clear because you did bring up an interesting point about Hillary. Look, I was raised by a single mother. I, I forgot to mention my parents got divorced when I was two. I was raised by a single mother and I would love to see a female president in my mm-hmm. lifetime. I, I truly don't believe that there was any kind of internalized misogyny when it came to Hillary. I just, Hillary could have been the manliest of men. And I, I, just don't, <laughs> I, I don't like her. I just really don't right. like her personality. I don't like her, what she's done, kind of who she is. And, and I just couldn't get on board with that. But I, I just wanted to be clear that right. I'd love to see a female president 
president, a, a gay president. I'd love to see right. like every facet. I want to just see the most qualified person, regardless of these, whatever demographic they belong to succeed right. In, right. in office. So I just, I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, I agree with you. I say that maybe for me, there was internalized sure, sure, sexism sure, yeah. because after I watched her documentary on Hulu, which I recommend everybody watch, it's a spectacular documentary. And there was a lot of ways that I looked at her and I realized that, you know, for decades, she was receiving so much negative criticism for the things that if she was a male, maybe she would have not received that much criticism, you know, how she wears her hair, how she wears her pantsuits, like what jewelry. So I think maybe those things kind of entered the psyche of people and there was some kind of a general, because I do believe that one of the reasons she lost is sexism. I think that's undeniable. Oh uh, yeah, I would, I would agree with that, yeah. But you did bring up an interesting point and that's, you, we would love to see a woman, a person of color, a queer person, just anybody who is not a straight white male, because we're recording this episode literally right after the first debate and last night we just saw three old white men yelling at each other and that was not efficient or helpful in any way. So going into the debate, what were some things that you were looking forward or not looking forward in this, you know, very anticipated debate? I mean, going into this, I was excited. I was, I thought that this would be a really great debate. I thought that there was a lot on the line going into it. How is Biden going to attack Trump's record? Is Trump going to be able to make, allow the room for Biden to make a gaffe? Or can he prove that he's coherent and that he's, you know, with it still? I mean, I think they said it best. It was a total shit show. It It was was just, it was a disaster. It was, I don't think anybody won. I think the only people that lost from this were the American people, because I think it's sad in in a sense that it, last night's debate encapsulated kind of where we are as a nation. It just shows how divided we are, how at each other's throats we are, how polarized we are. I've never seen a debate like this in my life. And I just, I did not expect it to go down this way at all. You know, I mean, I expected there to be fireworks. Sure. I expected them to get personal at times, but this was, you know, personal attacks, both lied. They both interrupted each other. And then there was like this sprinkling in a policy, like every other like half hour. I was looking forward to seeing, you know, what's the plan moving forward for COVID? What's the, what's the plan moving forward? Let's hear both of their economic plans set aside. Like how is the $4 trillion tax plan going to work? How are these tax cuts going to work? Don't just cite anonymous sources or articles and, and this and that. Tell me how how mathematically this stuff right. makes sense and how it's going to be implemented and how it's going to work. We didn't see that. And as you stated, there's a, a group of people that are still undecided. And I think it's yep. like you said, bigger than, than most people think it is. I don't think anybody who's undecided watched this debate and said definitively, oh, now I'm convinced I'm going to vote for Trump. Yep. Now I'm convinced I'm going to vote for Biden. I think people watched this debate and it was really just kind of a, of a reinforcement of each other's bases. You know, I think Trump solidified his base and Biden solidified his base. And I think it was almost interesting to see Biden distance himself from the radical left or the far left, because I felt like at at this point, he has the room to jettison that voting block simply because those people hate Trump no matter what. So he could say, I don't support the Green New Deal. I don't support Medicaid for all. And they're still going to vote for him because they just don't like Trump. Well, he did. He did say that he does not support Green New Deal. He did say that he does not support Medicare for all. But unfortunately, he had to say those things because Trump was forcing him to. Because right. Trump 
was like, do you support Green New Deal? Oh, you don't? Oh, you're going to lose the radical left. Here goes the radical left. And it was just so painful to listen. Yeah, it was infantile. Yeah. I think Trump overplayed his aggressiveness because you knew he was going to come out on the attack. But I think he was, when he decided to interrupt Biden, you're not allowing the room for Biden to have those gaps that you know he has, you know? So it was was probably coming and then Trump just interjects and he doesn't get that chance. And at the same time, I think Biden had the task of just keep your cool and act presidential. And even he stooped down to that level. You know, he told the president to shut up. He said, you know, you're a clown, you're this, you're that. I think if anything, they both should have been aiming to increase their likability amongst voters. And I think they both did the opposite. I think they both made themselves, I don't don't know if Trump can get any less likable at this point. I think people either love him or you hate him. But Biden was someone who I think the difference between him and Hillary is at least Biden's likable. Right. I think he hurt himself a little bit last night. I think some people who who are undecided, they're not going to vote against him after last night, but there's definitely second guessing. Is he really that much better of an option at this point? It was just a poor performance overall for both candidates. I agree with you. Going into the debate, I was pretty nervous because I know I'm supposed to be objective because this is a political podcast, but it's also my podcast. So for me, number one issue is getting Trump out of office. And the fact that now we're stuck with Biden and I had to learn how to like Biden because if I'm going to vote for him, I need to, you know, sleep at night with that decision. And I was nervous that, you know, Biden is not going to perform that well, that he's going to start stuttering or that he's going to lose his temper the way he had in the primaries with Cory Booker. And we've seen Biden some had really unfortunate moments. And I was really nervous that Biden will not be able to do that. And I think that he did better than Trump set him up to be because I was reading on Twitter and a lot of people were saying that oh you you know Trump should just like come out on stage get a pillow and like tell Joe Biden to take a nap or something like that and I think both of them lost I agree with you I think Trump lost just because he wasn't even on the attack he was like a second grade bully who was just like not letting anybody speak because I was in the group chat with all my friends and they all were literally saying um we're voting for Biden just because you know Trump really annoys them especially from that behavior but they were already Biden voters or maybe they're not maybe they're just saying that because I'm their friend and they're afraid of what I will say to them. And Biden, he had an opportunity to push his plan. He had an opportunity to explain how his healthcare system would work. He had an opportunity to explain how he would create jobs from climate change. And maybe it's also the fact that they had two minutes of uninterrupted time. It was supposed to be each segment was 15 minutes, but of course, because of Trump's interrupting and then Biden like starting to like go against them and then Chris Wallace, poor Chris Wallace, the only person on Fox News that I like was like stuck in between them. So it was just, it was a mess because even if there were some moments of clarity that I heard from Biden about his policy, like I was really looking forward to the conversation of climate change because I think it's a very good and strong position to push job growth as part of climate change. But that was completely overshadowed by the circus that happened. On the issue of Biden um, telling Trump to shut up and calling him a clown and a liar. You know, on one hand, I believe in decorum. And if there is no decorum in the president's office, then what's the point of our country? But on the other hand, I have to say that I was pretty happy that just finally somebody said those things to Trump's face. (laughs) You know, when he said, like, man, will you shut up? He spoke for the behalf of the entire country when, you know, we see Trump saying something and you're just like, oh, my God, I just wish he would, like, shut up. But did you think there were any positive 
moments from this debate. Was there anything that you heard policy-wise or issue-wise that made you look at the candidates differently? Uh, I mean, there really just was not much there to begin with in terms of policy, honestly. It's another thing, too, because I, I didn't really feel like either of them were truthful in a lot of the stances that they took. You know, I mean, when, when Biden says that he, you know, doesn't support the Green New Deal, but he has, you know, AOC on his climate board of, you know, whatever position right. that she's going to have in, in his administration, that's tough for me to believe, you know, and it's, and he's also, you know, he's 78 years old. How is he going to serve out a full term? Doubt he would run again. You know, he'd probably right. hand the reins to, uh, I guess, next in line, Kamala Harris. He says that he's a bridge, which basically means that he's a one-term president. Right, right. So, I mean, I really did not get anything from this other than these guys hate each other. And it was it was a pissing contest. And Trump started it. You know, he, he came out firing. He came out, I think, like you said, kind of like a bully. It's what he did in 2016. Right. You know, for better or worse, it was effective. And I think Biden, the reason why there was so much talking over was because Biden wouldn't give. You know, he had he couldn't. He couldn't. He kind of had to, you know, meet him there to show like, look, I'm strong. I can take Trump on. Right. It ended up being a mess. And I, you know, like you said, I, I like Chris Wallace. I, look, obviously, Fox is conservative media. Right. But I do believe that Chris Wallace as a journalist, I, I thought that he's, you know, he's always been pretty moderate and, and pretty uh, bipartisan objective. and partial, right, objective. And I mean, as a moderator, though, he he was he was bad. I mean, I, he had two tough guys to right. kind of keep under control. But I mean, I didn't really feel like he, he did a good job of containing in, and implementing the rules of the debate as they were agreed to by both candidates. And, um, you know, he kind of got walked all over and it led to, yep. I think he's in a tough spot because it's like, what do you want him to do? You know, you, right. you can't mute the candidates or you can't, I think I saw Rand Paul today suggests that you you have a, a trap door under each candidate and when they interrupt each other <laughs> open it and they fall like in austin powers yeah. you, you can't do that so it's kind of like what do you want him to do you know i mean he gave biden i think 30 seconds additional time when he asked for it because he was interrupted so i, I guess you could do that yeah i don't think that a mute option would be good i know that they they're discussing that for future debates i don't really think that that's the right route to go just because i think i mean a lot of these debates are decided on these one-liners i mean look right. look at 2016 you know hillary said it, it's just just good that someone with the temperament of Donald Trump is not in charge of the law in this country. And he says, because you'd be in jail. And like, that's right. like what, you know, that was like a turning point, you know, I mean, or like taxes when he was like, right. that makes me smart. If you right. Don't pay taxes. right. Yeah. It was just, it was, it was just a turning point. So I think you take that away and, and you kind of, you know, it, it makes it tough, but in terms of takeaways from, from policy, I really, I did not get anything from anyone just because I, I felt like those guys were up there saying whatever they had to say, whatever, you know, they felt was the right thing to say. And it's like, right. who, who knows what's to be taken for truth and for not. It was, and I, I took issue with, we know Trump, we've seen Trump for four years now. We see him every day. We see, we hear him talk. So he was saying a lot of the same things. I was more listening to Biden, you know, try and get a read on who he is and where he's at. And he, in one sentence said, you know, well, the Green New Deal will pay for itself. It'll pay for itself. Well, I don't support right. the Green New Deal. I was just like, you got to pick a side and stick with it, you know? And and look, I think Trump did a, a poor job. And I think it's being overblown as a lot of things that he says are right. uh, when it came to the white supremacy and, and the Proud Boys and this discussion. He did. I mean, it was, it was a very weak condemnation, but he did condemn them. But Biden didn't condemn Antifa. And he called them a thought. And it's like, look, I think both of these guys had an opportunity to make strong condemnations for the extremes of their parties. And I think they both failed to. I think Trump made it a, an attempt to, but it wasn't very successful. 
Right. And I think Biden brushing it aside as, oh, it's a thought or it's nothing. Your own FBI director said whatever. I thought that that was a cop out. And I was just like, dude, you have the option. It's, it's not yeah. enough to just say I condemn violence. Everyone condemns violence. I, we, we know this. Yeah. It's like, call it for what it is. There's, a, you know, 100 days plus of riots going on in Portland. And th- these things are organized what's going on. And, they're, and the, these anarchists have taken over and have piggybacked on an actual racial equality movement. Right. And they've tainted it. You know, it's something that were originally started as a fight for equality, which I think is a great thing. And absolutely, we should be fighting for that. If, if people feel that they're unequal or they're being treated differently or discriminated against, we should allow for that. We should allow for those peaceful protests. But these people who since 2016 have not accepted, if you Google Portland riots, you'll see this happened in 2016. We just didn't really know about it. And it was the, it, it's really people who don't like, they don't like Trump. They don't like Biden. They don't like government. They're anarchists. Right. And right. they completely hijacked this movement and it's just really sad to see yeah it's the anarchist who just want to see the world burn chaos yep it's cha- exactly. it's so in chaos they hijacked the movement um i still support black lives matter i've been supporting black lives matter since they came out in 2013 but i agree with you i think that when biden said like oh i don't condemn violence but he needed to be specific because basically right now they both are fighting for that suburban white vote right. which is going to be instrumental because that's majority of the country that's how nixon won in um 1968 and yeah it was it was definitely a cop-out and that's something that people have been criticizing biden for not standing up strongly enough and he did kind of have couple of speeches here and there when he would condemn violence and I listened to them and I thought they were pretty powerful speeches but yesterday he had an opportunity to say something about these things the way that you know Trump would have not even been able to come back at him like if he said I support Black Lives Matter but those anarchists who are burning down our city should be put in jail period done would have done so much more on the side of Trump anytime somebody asks Trump to condemn something, he is always very, very, very shaky because he sees condemnation as apology because, you know, white supremacists are his voter base. You know, they vote for him. Ku Klux Klan endorsed him both in 2016 and in this election. And what he probably meant to say was stand back and stand down. But he said stand back and stand by. And whether that was a gaffe or not, that is now Proud Boys slogan. If you go on Proud Boys social media, they're celebrating, they're cheering because they see this as an endorsement from the president. So whether Trump tried to endorse them or he tried to condemn them, it didn't work out. It actually had the opposite effect. And it scared a lot of people because also the part when he said, this was the thing that upset me a lot about Trump last night when he said that his voters should go to the polls and watch the election. Two things. I signed up to be a poll worker and I encourage everybody to be a poll worker if you want to help save democracy and get paid. I have to go to three training because you don't just show up at the poll and think that you know what you're doing. You have to know how to hand ballots, how to observe it. It's not like you can just show up and do it. And also we've seen videos from earlier this week of Trump supporters showing up to voting locations and just kind of like preventing people from going into booths and voting and bringing guns. And to me, Trump saying that sounded like form of voter intimidation and that that scared me. Sure. I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. And when it when it comes to Trump, there's no denying that he's been asked about, you know, white supremacy, neo-Nazis, you know, Biden brought up Charlottesville, which, you know, look, Trump says a lot of dumb things. Okay, let's be honest. I I, I feel like Twitter as a whole is just stupid. I mean, people are posting their thoughts literally as they think them. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I've written some texts, some emails when I'm not in a good mood 
mood or when I'm, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a certain mood and then I immediately regret it. And now we're just like free flowing, right. posting on the internet, our thoughts as soon as they pop into our heads. I think that's very dangerous. It, as yeah. great as it is, as great a tool as it is, it's also very dangerous. And now he has utilized Twitter, you know, in, in, in order to give himself a platform and to be accessible to people. But he tends to say a lot of dumb things on Twitter. He tends to say a lot of dumb things in person as well. But I do have to admit that going back to 2016, I think as early as 2015, when when he he was he's been asked to condemn violence, white nationalists, and the KKK, and he has done it. I mean, it's on right. video. He has done it, and he's been asked about it for four years now. And I mean, he said when Biden brought up, "Well, you called them fine people." He said, and I'm not talking about the neo Nazis and the white supremacists and the KKK because they should be condemned totally. He he did say that, so it's it's hard for me. And I do I do want to point out because this is where I kind of grew very suspicious of the media was being Mexican when I heard mm-hmm. the headlines and I saw the stories of when Mexico sends their people, they're not sending their best, they're rapists. And, and then I, I saw the headline of, oh, he's calling Mexicans rapists. He's calling them murder. And I was like, I was pissed. I was like, I can't believe this. Like, is this guy really going to be? And then I see the full clip and he's talking about the fact that the truth is, is that a lot of crime, it's not just Mexican people. It's people come from other countries, from Guatemala, from Central America, South America, from you know Nicaragua, all these different countries where there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of poverty and they bring weapons, they bring drugs, right. there's child trafficking. It's a serious issue. And I realized, I was like, all right, look, they look for the little sound bite and then they take it and then they replay it a million times and they frame it a certain way. And so I've always, every time he says something and it's repeated in, in media, I take it with a grain of salt. I'm like, wait a sec, let me let me see the full clip before I rush to right. you know freaking out about this. But yeah, look, that was a gaffe. If you Google the definition of standby, it does mean like a bystander to stand by, to to sit by and, and not take action, fail to take action. But I think people interpret it as obviously be on standby, you right. know, as in like a military term, like, oh, we've got backup on standby. Yeah. But look, I, I don't think that we should be sending people to polls unless they're, you know, trained, trained. poll workers like you, right? I don't think that any kind of voter intimidation, I don't think that that's appropriate at all. It should be stopped. It should be persecuted to the full extent of the law. I mean, this is America, man. We should have free right. and fair elections period. But I do understand where his paranoia is coming from, because we did see this massive push for voting by mail. And I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'm voting in person. Me too. You know, I'm 100% voting in person. And it's not necessarily that I don't trust the mail, I think. And I've been saying this for years, that the USPS, like any government run business, it's doomed to fail. It's a billion dollar debt industry. I mean, why do you not like going to the DMV? Why is the DMV a very unpleasant experience? Because it's the only place you can go to get a license and it's run by the government. And unfortunately, it's inefficient when you lack competition and you lack the ability to have competitive services and offer better prices, a better experience, businesses tend to get lazy. And Congress has the power to instill the US Postal Service and they've had that power constitutionally. But I think when that power was given to them, it says they shall provide the USPS. It doesn't command them to. And when the USPS was created, what was it, 1787? I'm not 100% on the dates there. It's been a while. It's been a while. (laughs) It's been a while. (laughs) But at the time, there was no private company that had the resources, that had, you know, the logistical setup to be able to carry out mail. So it had to be provided by the government. Now you have private companies like UPS, like FedEx. 
FedEx, like DHL, you have same day shipping now. You know, you have two right. day shipping. On Amazon. Right, right. And so I'm not saying get rid of the postal service. My grandfather worked for the postal service for years, you know, and I think that they, I mean, rain, sleet, snow, hats off the US postal right. service. And they've expanded their work week. You know, they work seven days a week now, I, I believe, or at least six days a week. It used to be weekends off or, or whatever. Right. But in, in terms of there's been a slowdown because of COVID, they've been having to balance, you know, you, they haven't been giving people overtime. They've been, you know, trying to avoid laying people off. And so there's been this major slowdown. And now when you have mail-in ballots and you have an influx, the same way Trump said, I don't think he's ever articulated it very well. But the point he's been trying to make is that absentee ballots are okay because there's a process you go through right? and lots of people do it. But when you send unsolicited ballots, when you right. just send them out to people, there's obviously a chance that these ballots are now susceptible to fraud, whether yeah. it's someone voting that shouldn't be voting, whether it's the ballot being lost. I mean, my grandmother passed away seven years now, maybe eight years. Sorry about that. Thank you. But I got it in the mail, a ballot for her. You right. know, and she's been she's been dead for years. Where else is that happening? We've right. seen primaries where the results are delayed. You know, and I think the last thing we want with a Supreme Court vacancy right now right. is a contested election. And so when you have this push for mail-in voting, you have people voting before the debate. It really has been a, a total total mess. And I understand why he's paranoid about voting by mail and all that. But in terms of going as far as to call for people to come down and for you know to vote twice or you know, I, he didn't explicitly say that. We 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 right. we know what he said, but obviously, you know, to check to make sure that the vote's been tabulated or whatever. Obviously, that's an extreme. But everything has become so politicized. To yeah. whether it's you wear a mask or not, whether you go and hang out with people or not now, whether you, you are for the postal service, you're against the post. It's like, geez, man, can we just like be logical here right. and say like, look, it's worked every other year where on election night we find out who won the election with the exceptions of what, 2000 and, and like some, some other contested elections, mm -hmm. we're, we're not going to know for weeks or for months right. this year. We already have chaos. You, you think right. it can't get worse? Let's see what happens. It can, yeah. The, yeah. the thought of that is giving me a lot of anxiety because I'm literally counting days until the election. The whole issue of voting by mail, I agree with you. I think that you should be able to request a ballot, fill out an affidavit so that I can get it. I also think that the government, executive and legislative branch, should have come up with a comprehensive plan about how to make sure that Americans vote safely. But again, unfortunately, our government is not interested in working together. You know, the Democrats of Pelosi and Schumer, and I kind of understand why they don't want to work with Trump, because we've seen them trying to work together and it just ends up. You remember the government shutdown last year? Right. Where, where the government was shut down for a whole month. I feel like people forget about that because it felt like ages ago when it was actually only last year, because we now live in a 24-hour news cycle where everything is happening every day. I know we have been talking for a while, so let's take a little break. What are some other issues? Because, you know, we didn't get anything last night from the debate because I was also tuning in to hear anything and there was nothing new that I've learned for myself. There was like, I already knew, like, of course, I was like not shocked by, not even surprised. There were just some things that Trump said and I was like, okay, that's new, you know, in a negative connotation. And whatever Biden said, yeah, if you follow his campaign, he said all those things before. So 
outside of this shit show over the bait that we had that does not give any confidence to anybody, what are some of the issues that are really important to you in this specific election? So, I mean, you know, all the issues are important. I, I don't right. I don't know if I have anything specific. You know, I, I, I am a registered Democrat, but I guess if I were to be on that political spectrum in terms of where my beliefs lie overall, I would say that I tend to be fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Libertarian, basically. Right, libertarian. And I then then you have uh you know uh the, the Joe Jurgensons and you have um God, who is the who is the Aleppo guy? <laughs> um Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson, right. And and it's like I don't want to be a s I don't want to be associating right. with that. You know, right. so it's like it has this connotation of like, oh God, and like you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, Well, I, I do. I, because look, I think that there is room to be, you know, accepting of people and also, you know, have a much more efficient, limited government and still have a functioning, you know, economy and, and right. free market. And I think there's room for all of it to coexist. And so, you know, I look, I'm a guy, I don't really have a hard stance on abortion or anything like that. I don't really think it's my place to to have an opinion. You really want to ask me personally, it's not my body, you know, so like, right. I can't, I can't really opine on it. it. It's just, I would kind of feel bad if, you know, I was irresponsible and I was in a relationship and we consented and we had sex and then a girl got pregnant and then she wanted to have an abortion. I would feel kind of guilty. Like um, like my son, you know, or daughter potentially, it would stick with me a little bit. But you know, obviously, look, I, I practice safe sex, and and you know, I, I do the things that Sorry. right. Oh, always good, always good. Shout out to Magnum. Uh, you know, I always, I always uh, do, you know, try and do the right things. And obviously mistakes happen and stuff, but right. you know, with the exceptions of, of obviously rape or the, the mother's life is at, at risk. I mean, look, it's, it should be a personal choice. Right. Why would it bother me if a separate couple decides to do that? That has right. nothing to do with my life, you know? And it's like, I understand the, the counter argument of, well, the, the child's right to live. I, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm not a scientist and, and I don't think right. that even there's a consensus among scientists when life begins in the womb. So that's such a, complicated issue that I can't even, I can't even believe I, I brought it up because it's like Pandora's box here. Well, I'm happy that you brought it up because, you know, up until last week, that was not an issue in this election. And then on, after the unfortunate passing of a legend, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and, you know, with the nomination of Supreme Court, like as if we didn't have enough issues in this election with the economy and the pandemic and climate change and race. Now we also have the Supreme Court and abortion. And on one hand, I'm happy that people are finally paying attention to the Supreme Court because that's like the forgotten branch of the government government, even though that's probably more important than the president, because president is four years, judges are like generations. But the issue of abortion, I still can't believe we're talking about it in 2020. To me, as a gay man, also like I nobody's asking me because there's, I'm not participating in the process of having a child. But also like, for example, I don't like the wording of pro-life, pro-choice, because I don't think anybody wants to have an abortion. Right. I don't think any woman wakes up in the morning saying, you know what, I want to go kill the thing that's inside of me. It's always a hard decision. It's always a very painful decision because of sure. it's it's not just the baby that's born. It's also, you know, raising that child. My issue is that with a lot of like pro-lifers and specifically the Trump administration, you know, pro-life stance is that they're pro-life, but then they also want to take away health care and they don't support child care and they don't support extension of um, food stamps. So it's like you're pro-birth. But once that child is born, you could not give us a flying fuck about that child. So the issue of abortion is definitely heated. What you said about all issues are important, that's the same thing when people ask me, like, oh, Max, what are the issues that are important to you? And I'm all like saying, like, yeah, every issue is important. But I guess 
long term because you know this election there's so much at stake in this election this election is not just about the next four years this election is about the future of our country and i really care about climate change sure and when we look at trump's policy on climate change it's not existent it's basically a roll back any protection say that science doesn't really know it's one of the things that makes me vote Democratic because, you know, I said that I would vote for whomever is a Democratic nominee because I need to get Trump out of office. One of those things is climate change. Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I care very much about the environment. It's always tough for me to talk about with people because there's, again, it's it's like I have this kind of this internal fight of like, I want to do the right thing and the ethical thing. But at the same time, it's like, is it feasible? I was reading this book, Naked Economics by Charles Whedon, I believe mm-hmm. is his last name. And he was talking about how there was India was dealing with a lot of pollution in the air. And they decided to shut down a power plant that was putting tons and tons of just horrible CO2 emissions into the air. And there were riots and protests that they were closing this plant because when you close the plant, 125,000 people lost their jobs. It's like, it's always this balance of like, we have, you know, electric cars, EVs, we have hydrogen now that that's possible, you know, should we be looking at nuclear energy for the purposes of clean energy? And at the same time, what do you do about the oil industry? What do you do about the gas companies? And and, and yeah, okay, the fat cats at the top are going to be fine. You know, these big oil guys and these millionaires and billionaires, they'll be fine. But the people who, you know, work in the fracking industry and who work in all these different industries, you know, oil, gas, and, and et cetera, they tend to be unskilled workers or they tend to be uneducated workers they don't have degrees and so it's very hard for them now to now find another job and they typically live paycheck to paycheck so it's like you have to find some kind of balance and in terms of what trump has done for the environment which i think like you said has been pretty much non-existent you know and i think he talked about that last night he wants immaculate water i don't really know what that means crystal clean beautiful water (laughs) i I don't really i honestly don't know what that means yeah i guess i mean me too but it's like how amazing major part of his success and you know people like to point out his failures but if we do look at one of his successes it has been foreign policy and what he's done in the middle east is because he's lessened our dependence and for you know obviously at mm-hmm. the at the expense of our environment he has lessened our dependence on foreign oil and these countries in the middle east their entire economy is built on their oil reserves and yeah. so when you have the US who's a major purchaser of, of oil and gas and all of these commodities no longer depending on them they're now losing money. They're now in trouble. And so that brought them to the negotiating table of, okay, look, uh, what, what do we have to do here? Can we work out a trade deal? Can we work out something? All right, we'll recognize Israel. We'll recognize Jerusalem. We'll have an embassy exchange. And so was it like, oh yeah, we, we've decided to put our differences aside and we're going to love each other? No, it was like, fuck, you, you kind of brought us <laughs> to the negotiating table here. You know, you got our arm kind of pinned here. What do we have to do to breathe again? So in, in that sense, that's a success. But yeah, I, I agree. The, the environment's a major issue. I don't like hitting the panic button on climate change, I do think that it is a very real issue. But I do believe that the progressives or liberals, whatever you want to call them, the Democrats in our party tend to overblow it. I'm not saying that it's not an important issue or it's not imminent or anything like that. It is. Clock is ticking. But when you make it, you know, chicken little and the sky is falling, that's, again, a tough sell to people who are like, I don't really care about that. There are people who just deny the science and deny these things. And even though the science may be on our side here, 
you have to find a way to appeal to people where they don't necessarily agree with that. And so, you know, when I hear Gavin Newsom in California mm -hmm. saying he wants to ban gasoline powered cars by 2035, to me, that's going to scare, it's going to scare a lot of people. And it, it provides now firepower for the right to say, oh, look, he's going to ruin our auto industry. He's going to do this. And it's like, look, the intent was obviously we want to get these right. cars off the road so we can have clean air and we can have a movement towards EVs and, and the like. But when you do these things of a ban and you're going to force people and then people get, you know, paranoid, oh, it's, it's communism, it's socialism, it's this, it's that. Mm -hmm. Rather than why don't we have incentives, business incentives, you can get a tax deductible if you are an EV company, if you have clean energy, the same way, you know, if you have a, a Prius or a hybrid car, you can drive in the HOV lane. People respond to incentives. People yeah. also respond to fear mongering, but not in the way that you would like them to, you yeah. know? So I think it's like you catch more flies, more bees with honey, whatever the expression is. Mm -hmm. And I totally agree. Climate change is a major issue, but we have, I think we have to change our approach in terms of how we reach out to the opposition to try and actually get something done. You brought up an example from India. I mean, when I lived in France two years ago, I was there when they had the protests, um, gilet jaunes, like yellow vests. And what they were basically protesting was that Macron, the president, raised the price on diesel fuel in an attempt to carb CO2 emissions. And that created massive protests. Literally the whole country rose up and protested. I mean, it's also France. <laughs> they know how to protest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they love to protest. Like, like that's just, if they have a reason not to work, they'll use that. But yeah, I agree with you. I think climate change is a complex issue and the solution should be complex. And, you know, when Gavin Newsom, it just comes out and like says all these things, obviously, because his state is on fire and I'm just listening to him and I was like, those are great ideas, but where were you five years ago? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, he wasn't there five years ago, but you know, there was a previous governor and there was Schwarzenegger and Schwarzenegger was actually, you know, he was one of the first Republicans who was speaking about climate change, you know, back to your point about bringing the other side. And I think that in general, I identify as a progressive liberal. I say that my ideas are progressive, my implementation is moderate, because the problem with progressives, as we talked about with Bernie Sanders, is just like, the ideas are great. How are we going to accomplish it? How are we going to pay for it? And right. it does feel a little like substance-less. I can see why a lot of people are turning away from the Democratic Party because of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I find fascinating. There's a lot of issues that I agree with her. There's a lot of issues I don't agree with her. I also have a big problem with the fact that, you know, she's been there for two minutes, but she has like a mouth bigger than Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> I do believe that, you know, you have to learn how to do things. Although I love when she was a guest judge on Drag Race and she said her favorite Madonna song is True Blue and that won my heart. <laughs> I guess my question to you is, if you're a registered Democrat, how is that you're undecided? Because I've seen on your social media, you're highly critical of the Democratic Party. So could you please elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, and you know, being an actor, there's obviously a, a bias in the industry. It's become very liberal. And I mean, I think you can name conservative actors on one hand, like James Woods and like Scott Bale and like- Who? Right. Right, exactly. exactly. Like, I'm like, I don't even know. James Woods was good in uh, Casino, and he was also the voice of uh, Hades. So look, I, I, as an actor, I do like him. But look, I mean, obviously, Hollywood's become super, super liberal. And for months, and really for years, I've been very quiet on my social media just because I've seen a lot of people, it's, it's, it's like, you know, join the hate Trump club. And I stay quiet because I was like, I don't really, you know, look, I, I kind of disagree with a lot of this. I think that people are kind of making a bigger deal out of things than, than what it really is. 
is. I don't want to fight with anybody, but you know, I, I have to tell you that the Democratic Party as it is today is vastly different than it was five, 10, 15 years ago. It's completely different. The influx of and we're seeing it with the turnover of these lifelong politicians losing their spots to these, you know, progressives. You see AOC, you see Ilan Omar, Rashid Tlaib, you see, and I, I hate the fact that they're all women because like now I'm going to look like misogynist. Right. I swear I don't have anything against them being women. They're, they're women of color. I think that that's phenomenal. I think that that's great. That's not why I don't like them. I don't like them because of the stance that they've taken on Israel and being Jewish. I've never been to Israel. I, I do have the birthright. I'm, I think I have that until I'm 20 where I have a free trip there. I, I thought it was 30. I mean, that's, that's what I'm hoping because I also have a birthright and I've never done Oh, it. right on, right on. So yeah, so there you go. But when I hear Israel being referred to as an apartheid state, when I hear them call for the BDS movement, the boycott, divestment, and sanctions on Israel, when I see Elon Omar, when, look, I've, I've already talked about Trump tweeting out stupid things. When she tweets out, you know, it's all about the Benjamins when she's talking about Israel and about people taking trips over there, that it really upsets me. And it wouldn't, I didn't care care a couple months ago or maybe a year or two years ago. I didn't care so much because I was like, all right, whatever. Like these are gross people and they're in positions of power, but whatever. But now when I see Chuck Schumer giving a press conference and he nods AOC over to come address reporters, that becomes kind of a red flag for me. And it's like, wait a second, wait a second. It's like, how did we get here? Because I was told that these MAGA people, you know, they don't like Jews and they're, you know, neo-Nazis and all this stuff. I don't really know a ton of, I'm in New York, so I don't, I don't know a ton of Trump supporters. Come to Brighton Beach, come to my neighborhood. Uh, right. I'll show I'm, you yeah, I'm sure. Them. Or Staten Island. Oh yeah. Or, or Long Island even. But I mean, when I've had interactions with them and, you know, for the most part, if we get into the discussion of where are you from, etc. I've been received and treated as an equal and been treated very nicely by these people. I've never been addressed in a condescending manner or in a racist manner, anything like that. And look, I, there are tons of people who are very liberal and, and lifelong Democrats, including my own family, who've been very nice to me as well. But I've had some very poor experiences with people who are very gung-ho and very, you know, super, super progressive and for lack of a better term, far left. They love the the AOCs and the Ilan Omars and they they agree with the, the idea of like, you know, Israel is this apartheid. I mean, have we forgotten the history? I, I understand right. it's, it's a very complex issue of obviously after the Holocaust, people were asked where they want to go. They said Palestine and then there were people there already. But, you know, right. look, if, if we really want to go back in time, you know, thousands of years ago, the Jews were there and then they left. And it's, it's, it's a very complicated, complicated issue. And I 100% believe that Palestinians should have a right to live and be treated as equal citizens. And I don't think we should be kicking anybody out or these, you know, West Bank settlements. I, I think that right. this very tricky, tricky politics that we should not be. It's a complex issue. Right, yeah. right. And so when I see someone like AOC commenting on these things without really having knowledge of these things, I think she was exposed in one interview where she just pressed about it, about the occupation of Palestine. And she was like, um, well, I, and I was just like, Ugh. like, come on, right. at least get a clue. You know, right. So when I see the growing influence that she has in, in the party, it turns me off. It really turns me off to the party and it makes me question what are we doing here? You can hate Trump, but the truth is, is he's been probably the best president for Israel in a long time. And I don't think it's necessarily for the benefit of the Jewish people. I think it's for the mm -hmm. evangelicals or for you know whatever that that voting block that he has. And then the Netanyahu being his close friend even before <laughs> Trump became president. Right. And there's a lot of also questions about, you know. Is Net Netanyahu corrupt? Right. There's a lot going on there. It should be its own episode. Right, right. We could we could talk for, for days about that. Yeah. But again, it's kind of like, it's just tough for me to see people just kind of blindly support 
support that. And, you know, right. I, when I post on my social media, it's always my own opinions. You never see me repost a tweet or repost a colorful slide with text on it. People, they'll see something and then they'll just repost. It and it's like, always do your own research. I never receive information, whether it's from Fox or CNN or MSNBC. Right. And I never say like, oh, this has got to be true. I'm always like, wait a sec, let's, let's check this because you have to in this day and age, you have to fact check everything. And I see a lot of it. And so I've been very vocal about it. And I feel like, look, you can attack Trump and you, you can do that. And that's fine. You're entitled to that. But I want consistency. I want people to be fair. If you're going to call him out on his bullshit, you got to call us out on our right. bullshit because we're not perfect here. The Democratic Party as a whole has been fractured now for the last two, four years, you know, so- right. I kind of call it as I see it and I'll just let people know it's like, look, I, I think we're in a very emotionally charged time, but all I ask is that you are one, truthful, and two, consistent. You can't say, oh, well, he did it or they did it or we did it. It's like, it doesn't matter. We're supposed to be better. We should always, whether it's in life or politics, whatever, you should always strive to be better, a better person than you were the day before. And you should always look to listen to oppositional views. Always look to listen. Don't get dogmatic when it comes to your, you know, like, oh, I, we can't be wrong here. You always have to listen. You have two ears and one mouth. So you got to listen more than you speak. Amen to just everything you said. <laughs> Thank you. We did an episode on last season let's talk about anti-semitism in america and when i was doing my research because i consider myself a journalist <laughs> when i was doing my research i found out anti-semitic crimes are 65 percent of all hate crimes based on religion yeah. which shocked me 65 percent of it was against jews and you know when it's that much you can't blame it all on maga you can't blame it all on the right because we see it happening on the left and of course there's a lot of like rhetoric whether it's being anti-israel is the same thing as anti-semitic and you know again it's it's its own issue but i definitely agree with you that it's a part of a broader question of people just being lazy with politics yeah and these are all very complex issues that affect our day-to-day -day life and i just feel like there has been this kind of like dumbification of america especially since you know trump got into office president sets up a um, moral and intellectual standards for the country and you know i don't think that trump is either of those things so we've definitely seen this trickle down to whatever party affiliation you are in or whether you're not affiliated with the party because you're not politically engaged or politically educated. So, you know, one of the reasons I started this podcast was because I wanted to have these complex political conversations in a language that is simple and that, you know, that people can learn and understand that, you know, become excited and go read a book. Everything that we see on TV, whether it's CNN or Fox News, we need to fact check because who said it's just because it's on TV, it's true. So I guess my last question for you is, you know, with all of this divisiveness and kind of almost hopelessness, especially after last night's debate, because I was going into that debate feeling so hopeful and I left broken. It was a rough day today, for sure. It was, <laughs> it was, it was definitely rough. So next time I'm watching a debate, I'm definitely getting together with my girls and we're getting fucked up. <laughs> it's the only way. <laughs> the only way, with a, with a fat joint and a bottle of vodka. There you go. So with all of that, what gives you hope? Because you got to have hope, you know, as an American, as, as Jewish, as Mexican, you know, what gives you hope that, you know, eventually we'll get better as a country? <sighs> I've been playing around in the market the last few months. I've, I've been doing some some investing since I got out of high school, um, but I never really was doing like day to day, you know, day trading and options trading and cryptocurrencies, etc. And it was much just basically long-term investment in the beginning. But doing a lot of day trading, I've learned that there's rise up and then there's this drop. And eventually there's a bottom, you know, 
and there's a buying opportunity there where if prices are at a point where it's a good entry point, you should get in and then you kind of ride that wave to the top and then hopefully you get out before it comes back down. I really hope that we find the bottom soon. I'm not convinced that we're there yet. I felt like we were kind of digging ourselves up out of this terrible, terrible pandemic. We're still going through it. We're in New York and we saw the death tolls. We saw the infections. You know, oh, yeah. we've seen that. And, and it was like you got numb to it at one point. You know, it was like it was normal to see, you know, a thousand people die a day. And it's like, that's not normal. You know, that's holy my God. But we've got a grip on it. And I know there's a lot of suspicion. Oh, I'm not going to take the Trump vaccine, whatever. Hopefully it's effective. It's safe. Hopefully it gets here sooner rather than later. Hopefully people take it. Hopefully we continue to get a grip on this pandemic. I don't, I don't the infection rates going up in New York. I really hope we don't have more lockdowns. Right. It's, it's entirely possible, but I'm hoping that this is a bottom and I hope that Whatever happens, I really I shouldn't say that before November third because because I do feel like it, I really don't think it matters who wins. I think that whoever wins, there's going to be riots in favor of the results or against the results. Whatever happens, but I think that there are better days ahead. I think that we've been through so much as Americans, as New Yorkers. Uh, we started this off with 9/11, and I just remember the day after. You know how everyone came together and everyone picked each other up. And it didn't matter where you came from or who you were. We were all New Yorkers that day. We were all Americans. And so I, I right. hope that we can find that camaraderie again. And if Joe Biden wins, I'm accepting it. If Donald Trump wins, I'm accepting it. And I just hope that we can put this, this nonsense to the side of this. Uh, we, we need term limits. We, <laughs> we need term Amen. limits like no other because it's like we have politicians who try and make a career out of this and they go into office and make millions of dollars and they stay there and they make a career out of it and and they continue to make more and more money and then we don't have that turnover of you know every generation there's this new way of thinking and and we don't we don't have that when you have people who are in there for 30 40 years so i just hope that we learn to worked together again. And I do think it will happen. It might be a little easier if Biden wins. It might take a little longer if Trump wins. But I do hope eventually, whatever happens, we have a clear-cut winner. We have an honorable and respectful acceptance of the results. And I really, really believe that it might look bleak now, but I really do believe that better days are ahead. Thank you very much for that, Zach. That was it was very well said. Look, I know we're in hard times and I know that uh, it, it's tough for a lot of people financially, but if you do have the means, uh, look into some things that you're passionate about. Look into some some organizations, some charitable organizations. A, a lot of people mm. are struggling. And so I know donations for charities are down. The Children of Hope Foundation uh, is one that I worked with growing up. If you notice the, the signs under the hospital signs, there's a little baby being, being held and it says safe haven. That's a great organization that women who haven't gotten an abortion and don't really know what to do with the child, they're not it, teen pregnancies, etc. It's an organization that provides care and safety and reassurance that the baby will be taken care of and, and helped. Children's hospitals, you know, Sloan Kettering, if you have it, donate it and help. Tunnel to Towers is another one for the 9-11. I know the 9-11 Victims Fund has run dry recently, but if you have any kind of financial good, good times and you have some way to help and to give, please, please look for something that you're passionate about and, and help people out. Amen. I want to say a big thank you to Zach Melato. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for coming and being the first guest of the second season of Let's Talk. And to all of our listeners out there, 
I cannot believe that I'm still saying this shit six months in. Please wash your hands. Please wear a mask. I know y'all got that extra money from the government, from the unemployment. So please go donate to organizations. That is a great thing to do. We need to support more charity. And that actually gets people more excited and engaged in politics. And thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Take it easy, guys.